Hello adventurers and welcome to the Mike Flares podcast, coming to you from atop a skyship that's just about to touch down in the Cloudtop district of the capital city of Iman. I'm your host, Connor O'Brien, and joining me as always is my co-host, Martin O'Dwyer. How's it going? No, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I'm excited. I don't think I asked, but I'm... <laughs> you you jumped in sooner than I got to actually ask you how are you doing today. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited because we're talking about a lot of really stuff, a lot of stuff that I'm very, very excited to actually like get dug into and like chat about. Um, but yeah. good. We we went for a little adventure today that uh, people should have seen at the start of our video. Uh, yeah, we went we went for a walk in Tipperary today, up a mountain, uh, and down around the mountain and down by a river. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed. It. I hadn't been out like doing anything like that in a while, and it was it's also a trail I haven't done before, which yeah. was nice. Yeah, um, it's good a, views. It's one of the nice things about this country is that as much as it can be frustrating living here sometimes, drive like an hour away from where you live and there'll yeah. be some beautiful mountain that you can go and do a hike up i do love yeah it. exactly um but yeah in case you guys haven't guessed from either the intro or from the title that's most likely on the video um today we're going to talk about uh the Taldoi reborn campaign setting uh that came out now we haven't gotten our physical copies just yet we're recording this before they've arrived unfortunately i do have my original copy of the old version of the book uh, and we're actually going to do a comparison because in this book there are four subclasses that came with the book. Uh, those four subclasses have gone under some uh, pretty severe revisions mm -hmm. uh, since that time. Uh, so we'd like to jump in and kind of uh, go through some of what we like about the classes, what we didn't like before, whether or not that's gotten better, uh, and so on. Um, so yeah, Taldori Reborn. I'm this uh, this okay. I, it should be noted. I have maybe four or five books that are third party D D, like fifth edition D D books, right? This is hands down my favorite. This is hands down my favorite third party book. Um I think the world building in it is top notch. I think the um I think they even though not all of them were complete winners, I think I still think the subclasses are quite cool. Um there's magic items, there's uh this a handful of monster stat blocks in it, which I think are just brilliant. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think it, it's it's honestly it's one of my favorite books. Also, the art and everything about it just looks looks and feels fantastic. It's really really good quality paper, uh, which is I, it, like what I'm trying to say is it's an all around winner. Yeah. Um, I particularly so, like um, the art in the original book because uh, and in the reborn as well because they went to uh, a lot of great effort to make sure that a lot of the art was done by members of like the fan community. They like commissioned fan artists to do the art for a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean that uh, that that shows in in the quality and the scale and the what would you call it, like the the variety because obviously there are different art styles in there. Yeah. So it just it it looks fantastic and it, it it um it's like I said it's just it's just hands down one of my favorite books for fifth edition. Definitely my favorite of the third party stuff. Um, can't uh, can't beat it. Uh, so it's a big it, ooh, it's a big week for Critical Role actually at the moment. We are, we're about uh, we're just under a week out from the animated show uh, premiering. The book came out on. We are actually by the time this episode of the podcast comes yes. out, the show, the first three episodes, I think, will be available on Prime. They will, they will indeed. And actually, yeah. hilariously, because they're come out because they come out on a Friday, right? Uh, the episodes will be coming yeah. out on Friday. I think so. Yeah. It'll be like Thursday. You can stay up and watch the live stream, and then by the time you finish watching the live stream, the next episodes are out, and you might as well. Yeah. No, I. Uh, they've all been, It's been getting really, really good reviews. So I'm very excited. I thought it would be awesome mm -hmm. anyway, because it's just, they seem like they would be not controlling, but just very, very careful about any changes they made. And yeah, 
making sure that it was still like their story and their vision it very much gave that kind of an impression from the like behind the scenes and videos they did and stuff like that um so i've i'd feel it would be good but just like hearing from people who are not critical role fans uh and are or and are not D players and they're like this is great this looks amazing like the, i weirdly mm-hmm. i've been binging a lot of people reacting to the trailers because i just really wanted to see what someone who had no idea what critical role was um how they would react to it and nearly all of them are like oh, okay it looks like fantasy and then like in the first five seconds when they crush that dude cut that other guy to pieces and then burn that guy to ash they're all like what and you get they're like oh man it's got so much blood in it it's got to be good i'm like mm, fine <laughs> it uh i do think that the the show will appeal to a much broader audience than the the critical role itself will because as much as the adventures are great and the characters and the people behind it are great critical role can be a tough pill to swallow if you don't want to sit down for four hours a week and watch people play D. i get it i personally enjoy it but at the same time i totally understand someone who doesn't want to do that um so i mean i think the show will be a great um like a lot like with all the shows we've gotten on netflix okay this isn't on netflix but of all the shows that have been released online that are animated shows we are castlevania we have uh we have um invincible. help me out here invincible and the one i'm thinking of for riot um oh arcane arcane thank you yeah. um like those are three great shows that have come out and they're animated shows which are very much made for adults in the past like few years um, they have great writing and stories and animation and everything and I think this now will fit into that category of, of entertainment so so perfectly you won't have to be a fan of Critical Role to, to watch it because they've said in, in sorry oh, I'm going to kill this cough um, they said in a few of, uh, of the development docs and stuff like that that they've tweaked some story aspects like towards the first couple episodes which if anyone who's watching has watched, you know, the Critical Role campaign one, they won't recognize the stuff that's going on in the first couple episodes because they've had to tweak it to, so that people who are coming to the show for the very first time yeah. can see who these characters are, what they're about, and what the world is and everything. I think it's um, the first two episodes are non-streamed game content, whether that is just yeah. general world stuff or, like, stuff pre-streamed that we didn't get to see because I know they were talking about visiting, like, a village that they visited pre-stream. Um, that we will get to see in one of the behind the scenes videos that they've done which are great it's a great series of videos actually even just to go back and look through everything it's re- i went back and watched um the one they did where they introduced phil barrasso the guy who did all their character designs yeah yeah and oh man i love watching i love watching really talented artists draw it's just so sad yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i will uh i will say uh <laughs> if i do have one critique about all those development docs and i'm pumped about the show and i can't wait and i love critical world if i've one crit- critique if I hear one more of them say, I can't believe this, our home game became a television show, I'm going to lose my marbles. I, we get it, guys. You each said it about six times now. We're happy for you. We're happy for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the excitement's going to wear off at some point, okay? Yeah, if you're sick of that now, just wait till it premieres and then starts doing really, really well. And then everyone has them on their podcast. They're like, so, uh, this, this, right, this is your home game first? And now it's, a, now it's an Amazon Prime original? And they're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you prepared to hear that for like the next three months? In interviews like that are not meant for people like us who yeah. are like, we're already years ahead of you, man. You're like, you're covering the basics for people who are like just tuning into your show and maybe never heard of Critical Role before. Whereas like, we're already way ahead of that and they'll ask some questions like, and how did it come about? And you're all voice actors? Yeah. And, it, it'll and just you're be just, stuff we all already know. And you're just friends? And does does Matt play? Does Matt play? Does he does he actually play? And they're like, well, actually, <laughs> Matt plays everybody who isn't us. Uh, yeah. 
we sound... that's how it works it's a collaborative story yeah. it's like oh god here we go we trying, sound to, like... trying to explain to normies what D&D is like. was... do you know what I was just about to say we sound very like we're looking down on people and then you call everyone normies <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just, a, I, I don't mean yeah. in a derogatory sense. Um, in fact, actually, one of my favorite YouTube channels is The Normies, uh, who, who watch too. all the anime shows and, and stuff. Oh, fantastic. you you know all those reaction channels to be doing Critical Role, um, Box Mark, Legend of Box Mark. Actually, oh, that would be really good. They absolutely will. They will. I, I watch, I'm actually watching another reaction channel. I'll, I'll send them on to you later. called Cinebinge. Okay. The two Canadians. Uh, they're really, really good. But I noticed that um, uh, Simone... Uh, who's in it she's constantly wearing D&D shirts and critical oh, role okay, shirts okay. so she will absolutely be doing it like I, I'd be I'd be shocked if they didn't have that up on the channel yeah. Um, but yeah uh, we should probably jump in we should uh, probably actually <laughs> yeah we should actually talk about the thing that the episode is titled after we were like um, tangentially related to it like we were no very much so um so like i said there's four subclasses that are, re- are uh, released originally within this book uh, yes. this is the original talidori campaign setting uh this one was just published by i actually don't even know uh my brain well, went uh, titmouse uh, and i was know. like no that's the animation studio you dumb that's the animation studio stop myself <laughs> from swearing uh so we're gonna go through this in the, uh, because one thing i noticed today and it actually it never bugged me before and i noticed it today and now it bugs me um the way that the classes are laid out in this book mm-hmm. is that they're arranged alphabetically by the name of the thing. So, for example, uh, the first one that comes up is blood cl- uh, blood domain because it's B, even though barbarian should be first. And we're going to do it the way it should be properly laid out <laughs> by class and not by alphabetical based on their subclass because why would you ever do that? Um, <laughs> okay. It's a bit... This is a bit of a late form critique of this book that came out like several years ago. Um, so uh, the first one up is the uh, Barbarian Path of the Juggernaut. Um, this one in the original book, I was probably my least favorite of the four. Yeah. I thought it was probably the weakest of the four. It didn't really differentiate itself a huge amount from the Berserker in my mind. Um, it had a couple of abilities where it seemed... Honestly, do you know what it was? I, I didn't know what that book was trying to be or that uh, subclass was trying to be. I'd, when you look at the two original subclasses that come in um, in the uh, player handbook, if you look at the uh, the totem barbarian, that gives you a lot of like different abilities based on like animals and stuff like that. So yeah. do you want to be a wolf and be very good at attacking or do you want to be a bear and be very sturdy? And then you look at the, the berserker, and I know people have problems with the berserker, um, but the it, berserker is... Did Grog for uh, 20... Did Grog for... 17 or 20 levels like yeah exactly yeah but i mean the the berserker is very much meant to be the do you want to be a barbarian that does more damage this is the guy for you kind of thing yeah um that's just like an unstoppable damage dealer i, and always, I mean it works it, it, it's i always like their um their rage ability to was they can ignore fear by raging i think isn't it and, yeah one and of the like higher level abilities is that i, yeah. I think like mind control as well I think like it started like I think they're sort of like Wolverine and that were like if someone tries to like telepathically like mess with their mind it's like extra difficult because they're just so goddamn angry <laughs> like, the they best. have uh, they have their charm frightened right? you, you can't be charmed or frightened while you're raging um, and if you're charmed or frightened you're allowed to enter a rage to end to suspend the effect so it doesn't actually stop it it suspends it yeah so if your rage drops, it would be still there when you when you come out of it. Oh, and your extra attack, you can frighten other people. Um, and oh, when uh, when you take damage from a creature within five feet, 
um, you can use a reaction just to make one attack against them. So it's just about doing extra attacks. Oh, yeah. So you get an extra attack as a bonus action as part of your frenzy range, rage, and then as your reaction, you get an extra attack if someone hits you. So it's about just dealing extra hits per round and, and bumping up that action economy. So it's, it's obvious that's the attacker, and the other one then is a little bit more tactical. Uh, if you're, I, I think most people were uh, like using the the bear totem, <laughs> because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's that's what those two are. The juggernaut to me, what it was not clear what the juggernaut wanted to be. It didn't help either that around the same time, I I've, I might be getting around, but I think around the same time the um, wizards released the um, the path of the brute. Oh god, that's yeah, that's a throwback there. Um, uh, was the brute not a what a that was brute was a fighter subclass. Oh, I think it might have been. Yeah, I have. I have thing up like a brute. I swear to God, I, no. I thought it was a path of the brute. People can just hear us typing now. That's all we're doing uh, on the podcast. Welcome to uh, it's like it's like ASMR. I was like, welcome to a typing podcast. Yeah, we're do I think some it, keyboard typing. I think it was. Yeah, fighter brute D and D fifth yeah. edition here. But it was, yeah. and it was really bad. It was just really bad. Like it was just yeah, it, it lacked all flavor. It was just like you hit things. You now you hit things harder. Yeah, that was it. It was literally just like you know you did more damage, but like uh it was passive. So like you didn't have to interact to do more damage. Like you, there wasn't anything. There wasn't any choice or agency in you doing it. And yeah, I think... yeah, there was there was nothing like I'm gonna use this yeah. ability. It's it's just there. It's happening all the time. Every you do you you ask the same thing every turn. I'm gonna roll and attack this guy. You do it. Your turn ends. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Yeah, and I think. The two of them, I think the two of them came out near each other, and I think the brute coming out around the same time as this didn't do it any favors because there was a lot of really negative sentiment about the brute and about how simple and boring it was, and I think some yeah. of that might have rubbed off on the original Juggernaut. Yeah, I, to be fair, and to the credit of um of those behind the scenes, Matt and James, uh, who, actually who's on the new book? It's Matt, James Hayek, and Hannah Rose. Um. They obviously, because I'm pretty sure James actually was on this book as well. He was, he was. Yeah, it was Matt yeah. and James yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, like to be fair to them, they've obviously gone back to the drawing board and taken on good uh, feedback and stuff. Um, we're going to look at the abilities of the Juggernaut. So, originally the Juggernaut had a, an ability called Thunderous Blows. This meant that once per turn you could hit an enemy with one of your attacks, mm -hmm. and they you could force them to make a strength save, and if they failed, you would push them back five feet. You could then also immediately move into that space. Um, not a terrible ability, kind of cool battlefield manipulation. Um, the problem was it was once per turn you had to make a save. It required you to not only hit them with your attack, but then also have them fail a save. Yeah. Um, which, again, it's just like it, it's a bit harder to achieve. Um, and it, it it was always five feet as well. Now with the updated version, every single attack you make, no save required. If you hit someone, you push them five. Actually, I think you can push them uh, in a direction of your choosing. I could be wrong on that now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back. Up to five, yeah. Up to you can push that creature up to five feet away from you in a direction of your choice. So I mean, like that's you can hit them sideways. You can knock them off of a bridge or off a rope bridge or push them back or knock them into a pool or something. Question, that's his direction of your choice. Up is a direction. Uh, yeah, you could potentially knock them up into the air. I could see a situation where maybe someone doesn't have line of sight, like your archer or your gunslinger doesn't have line of sight. So you oh, like, I'm gonna yeah. oop this, I'm gonna knock him into the air, and you can just take the shot, then hold your action and take the shot. Uh, it, um, I was just imagining like 
like do you know like classic Thor where he like swings the hammer and he goes Woof, and then just clatters Straight him up, with catches, it. catches him on the chin yeah and you just like lift him 10 feet into the air that would be amazing he would take a d6 yeah. damage then from the fall no it's every 10 feet of up 10 feet sorry yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah uh, so, so yeah. In this case, uh, it's now so no strength save required anymore, um, unless the creature is huge or larger. Mm. So if you want to hit something like a big, big dragon or a giant or something, they will still have to make a save. But I mean, like that means all large creatures. You can be battering ogres around the place and knocking them. No save required as long as you hit, which is pretty easy on bigger creatures. I just uh, love the idea. I think I said it to you earlier when we were driving out um, to where we filmed the intro. Uh, like, I love the idea of a gnome picking path of the juggernaut and coming up yeah. against like a tarask or like a cloud giant or like some absolute like an astral dreadnought and it just goes yeah wham and sends it back 10 feet <laughs> i think uh yeah i think oh this uh, would be so good with sentinel um sentinel polar master path of the juggernaut broken well okay sentinel polar master is already broken but like every attack you do, you like if they're not large, they're getting hoofed out ten. Just choose that way. Choose the way they came as the direction you want to move them. So if it comes turn around to your turn, you hit them. You hit them. They get knocked back ten feet, and then you go, okay, cool. I guess I'll hit something else then. And then on their turn, they have to run back in to fight you, and they run back into your, your range, which procs polar master and your reactionary attack. That's true, actually. Yeah. And, so then you could, and then Sentinel, and you, you can stop them. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a very broken combo there. Oh. Um, but yeah, so so that's every single that's every single hit as well. I like this actually scales up. So at tenth level, it increases to ten feet, yes. which it didn't do before. Sorry, that's right. So no, I was saying ten feet straight off the bat. It's five. It's five and then ten scales. It's five and then ten. But I mean, like at tenth level, you could knock someone back twenty feet and around, which means like, uh, like like I, I said this to you a while ago. Basically, any any situation where you are playing in a room filled with pools of lava or pools of acid or pools of piranha or there's a cliff or a ledge yeah. or a pit full of spikes that's your playground you're going to be knocking people into these things all day doing environmental damage to them can you imagine multi like two level fighter did so you get action surge uh yeah so you move them like four, 40 feet and around or go like the reverse and just take three levels into this oh actually no you probably want to go at least 10 levels into this to get the 10 feet to get the 10 back. feet yeah but like if you were due to do like let's say like would be generous and say like a 10 and oh it's a sickener because if you could do nine if you could do um nine and eleven you could do nine levels of this 11 levels of fighter three attacks around action surge six attacks knock someone back 60 feet yeah <laughs> oh it would be good but yeah no it would be very strong if you were to um multi-class with fighter um because then like yeah for you that's 40 feet you can move someone in around yeah absolutely uh this is it's cool uh you can't do the thing when you move into their space that's reserved until you hit level 10 but um but it's still really cool it's just that you can they've also buffed that out it's just that little ability to extrapolate it on a little bit as well um right up right off the bat i love this ability at third level um i think i think it's really again the previous one was like you have to hit them which means you're taking a chance on that immediately because you're rolling a dice then you, you also have to try and make sure that the monster you're fighting uh is going to fail your your strength save as well and then like if they pass it's 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 a waste and stuff and you only get to do it once per turn i mean this is this is a massive buff out right on your third level ability oh. as soon as i read this i was like okay if the rest of this subclass goes well i could actually see myself playing this because that's an interesting ability that other people don't have that ability to manipulate the battlefield in the same way you know um 
so that's uh, that's that's thunderous blows. That's got a massive increase. Next one is stance of the mountain, which I believe is also third level. Yeah. Um, so that used to be let's see now, or, or stance of the mountain has now become spirit of the mountain. Yeah. Um, where it's now uh, so third level. Yeah, uh, used to be immunity to prone while raging. Now it's immunity to prone. Uh, and being moved while raging so it's just a straight up buff on that one as well you can't be moved against your will as long as you're raging you're if you're in a spot you're staying there regardless of what spell or effect hits you mm. uh, and you also can't be can't be knocked prone as well which is pretty big again if you, it depends what you're going up against yeah. but i mean like the fact that no one's going to be putting you on your back and no one's getting advantage on you for those hits now realistically you're a barb you're going to be recklessing every single round anyway but um you're not going to be wasting any of your speed you know yeah. you're always going to have that 40 feet movement speed at least to, or, or 35 if you're like a gnome or something to to oh, get no, to where you they, want to go they changed that recently with the morden coins oh uh, did it with the morden coins uh was the monsters the multiverse is the new one they're bringing out they changed yeah. all the player character races where i think if they had less than 30 feet of speed they buffed them up to 30. oh really okay interesting so and like, then i, I think oh they dropped feet. dark vision for a lot of races as well didn't they they for a few yeah um for a book, yeah, I know, I'm not. I'd have to watch the video I watched again because yeah, we'll we'll come back to that when the book is out. We'll yeah. definitely talk about that because I'm very happy with the fact that in that book, uh, the Ganassi finally get some love and attention, <laughs> uh, which because I, I love Ganassi, but I've always thought they were just a little bit underpowered, or definitely the Earth and Air ones were. So I'm ha I'm really happy to say that now they they look like they're going in a in a much better direction, and I think they'll be a much more viable playing option, which is cool. Hundred percent. Um. So that was Santa Mountain. We have uh, Demolishing Might. Uh, the only difference on that, it's still a D8 uh, additional damage versus Construct, and you do double damage versus Structures and Objects. The only difference there is that actually is they cleaned up the language a little bit. Yeah. Um, the way it's written in the original book, it's like it's like eight lines long in the original book, and in this one, it's like three or four. It's four lines. No, sorry. It's three lines. Uh, in, in the original book, the whole there's a bit of waffle there about about the ability, and then it, it explains in, in a really long-winded way what this does, and then now it just says your melee attacks deal extra D8 damage to construct, you deal double damage to structures and objects. Done. Yeah. Um, nice and clean. Oh, yeah, nice and clean. Exactly. Love, love, love that. Uh, that that's cool. Just because I mean, I just picture I just picture myself with a big a big hammer as like a Goliath or whatever, and just charging the gate of a castle and just taking it down, like you it's, know. This 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 class, particularly the like tenth level ability, we're gonna get onto eventually. This turns mm -hmm. you into Sauron at the start of the first Lord of the Rings film. When he's, he's just swinging and knocking people all <laughs> yeah, over the place. Yeah, this is what it does. Like I would take yeah. I would take a two handed warhammer and cover myself in full blade. Oh no, barbarian can't do full blade. Right, half blade, half blade, and just go ham. Yeah. Uh, and you could, and the thing is as well, like, um, you get, there's a couple things that are coming up, I think. We'll get to it in a bit, but I mean, oh yeah, which honestly, there's a couple things coming up that mean, like, uh, I, you, I would be okay not dual wielding to get that bonus action attack. I'd be like, I'd be okay carrying a shield with this guy and then a, a warhammer because you get a couple of abilities that will mitigate or, or deal extra damage down the line, uh, which means I'm okay with not taking in the bonus action attack you know mm -hmm. uh, and instead having to shield for extra extra defense and it kind of it kind of goes with the theme as well i will not be moved from this position on the battlefield my shield is here and you are not coming through my shield you know yeah. um so uh at six level we have resolute stance uh this is okay this is really really cool i i, I think this is exceptionally clever yeah um what they've basically done is they've, they've reversed reckless attack <laughs> it is actually i didn't i didn't tweet that 
Yeah, it's basically a, a reverse of reckless attack, which I think is like I love anything where like people take wreckful attack. Go- wreckful, um, <laughs> very very wrecked. Um, I think anything where they take the an ability of the actual subclass itself or the class, mm. and then this particular subclass gets a different version of that is really really cool to me. I think um, the open palm fighter does that really well, where it's like all these flurry of blows and additional things you can make. Now you can do all that same stuff, but you get these extra pushes and knocks prone and stuff yeah, on top yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, this So this does it very well where it takes Rectus Attack and basically turns it on its head. So no action required. You can just choose kind of how Rectus Attack works as well. You can choose at the start of your turn to take a defensive stance. While you're in that stance, you cannot be grappled. Um, and attacks against you have disadvantage, but you have disadvantage on attacks. That's instead of, so instead of you having advantage and giving everyone advantage against you, you can choose to have disadvantage against you, but also your attacks will have disadvantage as well. Um, which I think really, is really cool. This would be really, really good against stuff like mind flares, where when they hit you, they grapple you. Absolutely, yeah. The, oh, these are, these guys would be great against mind flares because they, they could also not only would they not be able to be grappled by the mind player, they can knock the mind player back and get the hell out of there and not, be, not get their brains eaten as well. There's also their level 14 ability that we'll get onto, which would make them very good against mind players. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I just think this is a, I think this uh, Resolute Sense is an exceptionally clever ability. Um, I mean, it, it's basically you get to take the dodge action without actually taking your action. Um, and you have disadvantage on your attack rolls. But, I mean, the alternative for every other class is I take the dodge action, I spend my action to do that, mm. and also I don't get to make any attacks this round. At the very least, you're making two attacks with disadvantage, uh, and also everyone's attacks are disadvantage against you. I just think it's a great one. It's it's really defensive. Um, and I, I think by the time you're sixth level, what this class is meant to be is really taking shape, and that's what I talked about a while ago. We, we di- I didn't know what Juggernaut was meant to be when it was originally published in the first book. I didn't know what they were trying to do with yeah. Barbarian. In this, I'm like, okay, you want to move, you want to manipulate the battlefield and not be manipulated. You want to move people around and not be moved. You want to, that's what you want to do. You want to be able to like shove people, deal damage, not have damage dealt to you. It's about, uh, it's about you controlling the situation basically, yeah. uh, which I think is really, really cool. You're the wall. You're the wall. Uh, and I think actually they make for a fantastic frontline fighter because again you can knock. Uh, I was I was actually thinking there was we had a session there where you went down in the study of the Marquis recently and yeah. you were on you were basically unconscious. The Dragonborn was about to bring a, a great axe down on you and finish you off. And Wabu ran up and shoved him back, but he'd only shoved him to five feet. If he had been playing a, bar- a juggernaut barbarian, <laughs> he'd have been able to knock. He could have knocked him back ten feet and then use the ability we're going to talk about in a minute, where he moves into his space. And that would have been like it's really good for getting people off your allies. If you see that the cleric or the wizard is in trouble, send this guy in. He knocks him back ten feet, moves up on him, knocks him back another ten feet, and then the wizard is left there with no one in his five foot range. He can run away without any sort of opportunity attacks. If you were to combine this with the ancestral guardian's reactionary shield, this would be the best tank in D anD. Yeah, yeah, because you have this, the disadvantage ability. No, uh, no, just I'm... just not the not the. I hit someone and they have disadvantage, but the the as a reaction, I block two d two three four d six damage. Yeah. Like, if you were to add that to this, you're unkillable, and your allies are unkillable. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Next level ability is tent. Yes, and I love the name of this. Yeah, so it goes from overwhelming cleave. 
to uh, to hurricane strike. So previously, and I, I, there's something else. I can't think of what it is. There's something else in D and D that does this, or what does what this used to do um, as overwhelming cleave. Savage attacker. Is it savage attacker? Yeah. When you uh, there's there's okay. also a a, a battlemaster maneuver called cleaving attack. Okay, so yeah, that's basically what this is. What it used to do is uh, you used to be able to do an additional attack as a bonus action. When you hit a creature, you can choose to do an additional bonus action attack. You roll, and if you are successful, you hit a creature five feet adjacent to that other creature, which is basically you having two enemies here and cleaving through one and then cleaving through the other. In uh, So it gives you that extra attack per round. Mm. Now what happens is you get that ability where you can move up into the space of a creature. So when you do your attack, bear in mind you're 10th level now, so you're knocking people back 10 feet. You do a special leap where you jump into into range within five feet of them. No additional movement required. Mm -hmm. So you can continue. Can yeah, you can continue advancing, even if you don't have any movement speed left. Um, uh, and if uh, and if you oh yeah, when you land in that space, the creature then has to make a strength save, or fall prone. Um, Oh, and they do a cool thing here as well, which I think is, uh, I think this is kind of what we talked about a while ago, where you knock someone into into someone's, uh, you knock you knock this person into someone else's yeah. range or whatever. So additionally, whenever you push a creature into an ally, into within five feet of an ally, or with, or at least within their range, uh, they can take a reaction to make a melee attack against them. Your ally can do that. I think that's really really cool. This reminds me of something really silly, but it works as an analogy for how good this is. Do you ever when you were in school and like someone would like walk would like walk past like a circle or something or they get pushed into the middle of the circle and then everyone pushes them around the circle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's this but with that it's that but with swords. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you literally go bang into your mates. Get him <laughs> There is uh yeah, I think this is this is really cool. Again, manipulating the battlefield, um knocking people prone, move knocking them back, moving into their space with no additional movement, and then also <laughs> if you're if you see your ally they're you know they're 10 15 feet away from you slap this guy knock him back into them they immediately take a reaction to do another attack against him so again that's this is one of the reasons why i think it's actually fine that you don't dual wield in this subclass because you just knock them back into them it's a bonus action to uh uh oh sorry, this, oh, sorry that's a different thing so mm -hmm. it, it's <clears throat> you knock him back into your friend your friend takes their reaction someone is still doing damage this you can, round you to can them. only follow once you, well, yes. Yep. You can only follow once. If you still have movement, you can do just your regular movement to follow. Oh them. yeah, of course. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I mean, if you for whatever reason have to disengage but can't disengage, you don't provoke opportunity attacks when when you make this leap. So. So uh, well, I thought I thought you were just gonna say just hit him in the face with a hammer and he'll fly back ten feet. <laughs> yeah. But again, that works as well. I mean, like it, uh, it's it's kind of an indirect thing, but I mean, you're very yeah. difficult to kill again in the, in this class because if someone's on you if there's two enemies on you and you're like oh i could disengage or i could hit each of them once because they're both just knights in armor i'll hit each of them once they automatically get knocked back 10 feet and i'll just run away yeah. so you're even harder to kill could we even just like hit one of them and choose to knock them 10 feet this way and then knock the other guy by pinballing the first guy into i would rule as a dm that no <laughs> just no <laughs> no because I, I, what i would say is you can knock them into an unoccupied i think is there, is there some sort of text about knocking them into an unoccupied space uh no you can leap in it's the leap is it is uh yeah as your action to push creature at least five feet you can leap in an unoccupied space if you do so creature will succeed blah, blah, blah. leap cost no movement does not provoke opportunity attacks no there's not no uh, 
There's nothing about pushing them into other other enemies. I I was just talking more about so about the the thunderous blows the the base ability, but there's nothing there that says it has to be an unoccupied space. I would rule that it would have to be. Um, otherwise, it's just going to bump against our ally, but not actually go anywhere. Um, that's just me. Uh, because I think if you could make one attack and knock like a, a row of people, mm. then that's potentially a bit broken. If you're knocking two or three people over with a single attack. Yeah, I want to shout out something really awesome about this book as well. Is that um in the smack bang in the middle of, of this subclass they have put a rules tip forced movement because the whole class is based around forced movement yeah. and they clarify to you that forced movement does not provoke opportunity attacks yeah so that you yeah exactly so you push them which uh makes sense and it's always been the case um but uh the over the hurricane strike thing kind of indirectly gives you that opportunity yeah. attack because your your ally can take a reaction when they're knocked into range or you know. It's literally what it says actually. I was just I was just reading yeah. it to double check. Um yeah, no, but I just really like that they basically had the foresight to go, this class relies on this thing a lot and they're not assuming that you perfectly understand it already. They're putting in a little reminder, which I just think is a really yeah. good little touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um so last fourteen level ability, capstone ability for the for this subclass of barf. Uh, is unstoppable so you can basically choose at 14th level to become unstoppable um you have immunity to uh fight and paralyze and stunt uh, and you can you can still use a bonus action even when you're stunned or whatever and you would normally not be able to take actions you can still use your bonus action to enter a rage and then shrug off the abilities of the stun frightened or or paralyzed um they've added prone in the, so that was that was there before. They've now added prone as part of this list, um, and uh, previously you used to take a level of exhaustion after doing this. Um, they've they've scrapped that as well because I know that one of the big things people have against the berserker bar is that you take a level of exhaustion yep. for using his third level ability, which is quite severe. And um, so I'm glad they scrapped that in uh, in this in this version. Me too. And the arc even for a 14 well. level ability, it's. Uh, it's still a lot to to be, to be granting anybody a level of exhaustion because um, it, it's severe and, it, and it's, a, it's one of those death spiral things yeah it's it's there there are better ways to punish players for stuff like that or move yeah. power around than putting in exhaustion because then all it does is associate something incredibly negative with one of your core characters like functions like this is yeah like you should yeah you shouldn't yeah I think we've talked about this before, but yeah, it's it's just it just feels like bad design. It, yeah, I mean, I don't get me wrong. There's certain circumstances where you might be a caster and you only have one fifth level slot left, and you're kind of thinking, "Oh man, do I use this now? Will it, will I'll be about a fifth level slot? I have no other good magic after this, or do I save it for later?" And like that's one thing. That's a different situation. But if you're <clears throat> looking at your third level ability, which is kind of the core of your subclass, and you're thinking well if i do this now i'm going to take a level of exhaustion and i don't want to be have disadvantage on everything for the whole rest of the session i feel like that's a bigger ask of the player than you know just losing out in spell slots or or, or whatever other oh, yeah. in-game resource whether it's spell slots or key points whatever you have to spend in order to yeah. uh to do a cool thing you know i really like how they do it with the blood hunter um, and i'm only aware of it because of Aerith, but like his elixirs because he always takes the dexterity elixir and that gives him disadvantage on wisdom saves yeah and like I really like that kind of balance of like yeah you're getting something powerful but also like what the it it's because it's proportionate that's why I like it. 
Yeah, there was a the the original or an early an older version of that Blood Hunter subclass. They they did the benefits you got didn't outweigh the the negative in my mind, and um, I didn't like that older one. I actually quite like it a lot now, mostly because I can see why these things make sense. Like this one that gives you, I think does it make you? Yeah, I think I think what I explained to to Gavin is when I read through his class uh, and I look at the elixirs he takes, I'm like. This gives you better dexterity, um, but it kind of makes you bad on wisdom saves. And I'm like, okay, I get this, because I can imagine that it makes you feel really light on your feet and kind of flowy, almost like you're like maybe very slightly high, but then it, it gives you disadvantage on wisdom slaves because you're very slightly high, you know? It makes sense the different uh, effects that you're taking, and I, yeah. I feel like I can justify most of them. Yeah, Actually, like I didn't realize until very recently the reason Gavin takes that every single day is because wisdom saves are primarily used for charm effects yep. and elves have, is it res are they advantage. advantage or? Yeah, the advantage against charm effects. Um, so even though he has disadvantage, he actually doesn't when it comes to a charm effect um, and he can take that and get that, that yeah. dex bonus without actually needing to suffer the consequences. Very clever, very well done, very good character building. Um, so yeah, so that's a juggernaut. Um, I, like I said, this was probably the one I, I liked the least in the original race of the book. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was just bland. I didn't really know what the purpose of the subclass was. I didn't know what it, like, you know, every subclass has its its flavor and it has its purpose. And um, you, look at, look, you look at, like, some of the, uh, the monks and stuff like that, you know, if you're a monk of the shadow, clearly you want to be sneaky. You're a monk of the open palm, clearly you want to be the up-close fighter guy. Uh, you look at the the barbarians. If you play, you know, bear totem barbarian, clearly you want to be really tough to kill. If you play the berserker, clearly you just want to get stuck in and tear people up. But like this, just didn't have a clear direction for me. And now I really feel like it does. Like yeah. really, really feel like it does. It's actually, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic subclass. I could see myself playing this. I could yeah. see myself building a really cool nice defender kind of guy who's like who's like almost like a battlefield commander um who's like i'll maneuver their enemies or my enemies into position so that my like i'll knock them 10 feet this way so now i have three people in a row and my wizard takes a lightning bolt attack or whatever and you do some great stuff if you coordinate that, really really well with good. these things yeah there's a lot of like it's, it's, it's obviously of course it's like dream scenarios and ideal scenarios that we're talking about here but like you yeah know, there is the potential to do really cool stuff like that like if you can knock someone back 10 feet if there's like three people and one of them goes ahead and you like knock them back 10 feet into the other two and then the wizard goes next and casts fireball on the three of them because they're all grouped up together oh what if i played a bugbear juggernaut oh god so you like the crazy <laughs> crazy reach the long arms and i'm knocking people back from like 10 feet away oh my so god good. yeah you can take because sentinel just has weapon attack it, like there's no uh, yeah, um, yeah oh no polar master is what makes it broken because you have to come into the range yeah you would need to use a spear or polar but still yeah yeah no, I think it'd be class. Oh, uh, so yes, with a pike. I, oh my god, Polar Master with a pike with about with a Juggernaut Barbarian because pikes are pike, pikes a D twelve. Like. Is it what, what's the what's the range on a pike? Uh, ten feet. Is it ten feet? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think it's I think it's D twelve. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a D ten in my head, but I could be wrong. Uh, it's a D ten, ah, but okay. it does have, it does have the reach ability. <laughs> yeah. So you can literally just poke someone away from you the entire time. Like. You, you're literally one of the Urukai in the front line, <laughs> like, you know, just jabbing people with the huge spears, the huge pikes. Uh, that's cool. It's yeah. Really cool. So, 
Juggernaut has gone from my least favorite to maybe one of my... I think it's just a really great Barbarian class. Like, it'd be up there in my top Barbarian classes. I think it's brilliant. It's, um, it's definitely up there with your, like, uh, Rune Knight and your... Um, that's a fighter. Cyanite, yeah, as the fighter. Oh, sorry. God damn it, Martin. Um, they both fighter classes. <laughs> it, it, it's a, I, think it's this, I think this is up there with your um, Zealot Barb um, in terms of your damage potential. And yeah, yeah. Jesus, who else is what else are the really good damagey barb subclasses? Um, if you play Storm Herald, yeah, Storm Herald, sorry, yeah, Storm Herald, yeah. and, and it's got to start some similar stuff as well. I like it, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, it, like I said, it's, it's it's gone from being one I really didn't like at all to one I really really like. So this is cool. It, it says it has, um, it has an identity now. Like it's it's cause that's the can, thing because you can see it in here. Yeah, like how you that's. That's the thing. I mean, it, it, every time that wizards do uh, an, Arth an, Arth an unearth arcana, God, I can't speak today, so I'm really tired. Um, every time they do an unearth arcana, if I read through a subclass and I don't immediately think, ooh, I can build this character, that's a bad subclass. It should be evocative and I should be able to read through that and immediately be inspired with at least one character concept that I could see myself playing with this. I didn't before, I do now. Yeah. Bugbear Juggernaut, let's go. Oh man, yeah. Please, <laughs> please do not play that in any one shot I run for. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna move on next to the blood, uh, the blood domain cleric. Um, this is what I thought was pretty cool before. I liked the concept. Um, we saw a little bit more of this in campaign two because uh, was it Cree? Yeah, Cree. Was yeah. the Tabaxi's name? Yeah. Um, Cree was one of the kind of antagonists of the of the campaign. Um, Cree was able to like track people with blood samples and all this kind of stuff a lot of blood magic-y themes um, and there is a secondary class in this as well which is a, a blood magic wizard we're not going to cover that today but we will get it maybe next week or something like that yeah. Um, but yeah, blood cleric is really really cool it's got a lot of like blood bending themes from like avatar and stuff like that mm. um, it's got a really good spell yeah. list it's got a good spell list uh, they've, they've swapped a couple things out Orig so originally um Ray of Sickness was there in Crown of Madness. Mm. So Ray of Sickness has been replaced with False Light. Now, I think, as much as I don't think False Light is the best spell in the world, uh, if you're a full caster um, and you have high-level spells lots of burn, False Light isn't bad. Yeah. And I could see how it works if you're, like, if you got stabbed in your chest and you're bleeding, like, the blood is running down your body. Yeah, I could see a, a blood cleric pulling the blood back into their system. It's only temporary because the blood will still leak out again yeah. after a couple of minutes. But they're like they're just giving themselves a bit of extra time. I, I could see some like mid-level fight or mid-fight triage kind of going on there, which I think is very cool. Yeah. I think false life fits a bit better than ray of sickness. Yeah, ray of sickness, not a bad, not a bad it's... one, just not super. I think the well thing fitting. I the thing I like the most about the blood domain uh, spells mm. are that all of them you could flavor them as you just messing with the blood in someone's body. Yeah. Absolutely, I like. I love it. Like it, it's just, they're all very, very thematic, and they're all good as well. They're like they're, yep. like there is like the fifth level spells you get are really good, <laughs> like really, really good. Like two of the best fifth level spells yeah. there are. I said that's right. They're third level spells you get at fifth level. At fifth level, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but they're two two of the best third level spells maybe in the game. I use one of them, them for an entire campaign. <laughs> yeah, every single fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah so you get a couple swapped out so that's Ray of Sickness has dropped for False Life and Crown of Madness has dropped for Hold Person now yes. I was looking this through, through this later on I could see Crown of Madness working quite well because it, barring how the spell describes a silvery crown appearing above your head or whatever mm. um, 
I can see the idea of you taking control of someone, moving them, and then having them make an attack. I should think it has to be an attack, then move. Isn't it, like, weird like that? I, I know for Curse... I, I'd imagine you probably work it like how Curse of the Fallen Puppet works with Bloodhunters, and that one is you can attack and you can move and attack. Yeah. Um, but I think Crown of Manus works quite well in terms of, like, again, bloodbending kind of stuff, manipulating someone mm. like, like a puppet. I thought for a while that was a bit of a weird one to to take away and give to hold person to but hold person i think makes more low level sense and um, also there's there is an ability later on which makes perfect sense as to why they took away crown of madness you yeah. have this other thing which kind of fulfills the same purpose yeah um and i just really so yeah. like the idea of like your low level all you can do at this moment is just freeze someone in place by holding all like stopping all the yeah. blood in their body i really you, can, you like don't that. have the control to like puppeteer them but you can just stop them from doing what they want to do yeah, yeah absolutely and you get proficiency in martial weapons which i think is always That's cool for so starts. good so good. Uh, although i think i think proficiency in martial weapons is one of those things where like if a player came to me playing any cleric subclass or any other class and they were like hey look i just want to use uh, a long sword because i feel like it's my character would have a cool sword um whatever i'd probably just give the player proficiency in long swords i don't it's not going to be game breaking like you know yeah. um but i like that as far as hard rules go, you get them here because if you're gonna be doing, if you're gonna be the guy cutting people up, getting blood out of them, fueling your your powers with that blood and your blood, you should totally be able to have bigger, sharper weapons. Um, so they get a thing called bloodletting focus, mm -hmm. uh, which gives you extra necrotic damage anytime you cast a spell. They've tweaked the language a little bit here, but not by much. And um, the only thing they've added in is that the spell must be a spell that has the duration of instantaneous. Okay. previously didn't have that um, but when you cast a spell that deals damage at first level or higher uh, any creature who's takes uh, with blood who takes damage from the spell takes an extra damage equal to two plus the spell's level of necrotic damage um, so I mean like and, and you can do big AoE instantaneous AoE spells and one, do an extra isn't, isn't disintegrate an instantaneous spell it is, but I don't think clerics get it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course they yeah. would. Yeah. I was thinking Fireball, but also you wouldn't get yeah. that. But there's, there is a big AoE stuff for clerics. Um, uh, Flamestrike. Flamestrike, yeah, there you go. I think the, the reason they made the instantaneous thing in there is that you don't use things like... Um, what's the one where you summon all the spirits around you and stuff? Uh, uh, that's uh, when you summon the spirits, it's like Necrotic Shroud or something like that. That's one of them. No, that's Spirit a, Shroud Spirit is Shroud. one. Ne necrotic Shroud is a Fallen Asimar ability. Uh, yes, Spirit Shroud is one. There's another one that is. Uh, I always have Kerwin use it. Oh, whenever um, she's in battle. Uh, spiritual protectors or spiritual defenders. Oh god, I'm gonna go mad if I don't. I, if I don't look this up. I'm, I'm, I'm literally already on the spell page. <laughs> it's like Spirit it's Guardians. Spirit Guardians. Spirit Guardians. Yeah. yeah, because that obviously lasts more than instantaneous. Uh, so therefore you can just continue doing that additional damage plus extra necrotic damage every single turn it's like you do it once you hit someone you know that's yeah. a spell spent and stuff and I mean two plus spell level isn't huge but it's also not not, not nothing either like you know oh, uh, particularly if you're doing a spell if you cast a spell that has an AoE effect you hit someone with that gets five or six people you're talking about doing maybe four five six additional necrotic damage to each of them it's not bad at all yeah it's pretty damn good uh, particularly because like unless it's undead it's not very likely to have resistance to necrotic damage yeah exactly or a necromancer of some kind or whatever but yeah I mean mo most creatures do not have uh, resistance to that That this could pair very cool with uh, a fallen asimar or something like that Ooh, um, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 
Uh, the next thing it has, so it has two channel divinities. They've been swapped in the new version. Previously, they were one way. Now they've been swapped around uh, to be different. So originally, uh, let me just double check this now. I originally, have it. I have it here if you want. Yeah. So originally, it was Blood Puppet was first. Yeah. And then Crimson Bond was second. Now it's the other way around. Um. So with the the Crimson Bond, let me see. Let's get my notes here. Uh. Oh yeah, basically it just increases from rounds to minutes. It's the exact same. It lets you, the Crimson Bond lets you, basically, if you have a sample of someone's blood, you can use an action to learn their approximate distance uh, and direction from you, as well as any current hit points, conditions affecting it, uh, as long as the target's within 10 miles of you. Alternatively, you can you, you can attempt to connect with the target. You take 2d6 necrotic damage. They also clean up the language. The language isn't very clear in this uh, with regards to damage. It seems like you only take the damage if you fail the way it's written in the original book, which is not the case. It's like if you choose to do this ability, you take the damage. So 2d6 necrotic damage, uh, and the target makes a con save uh, against your spell save that you see. On a success, the bond ends. Uh, on a failure, you can choose to either see or hear through the target senses for a number of minutes equal to your wisdom modifier. Uh, during this time, you are blind and deaf and blah, 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 kind of usual stuff whenever you're seeing through someone else's vision. Yeah. Um, I, I do like this actually this, this line was added in which was not in the original one regardless of the outcome the target feels a wave of unease pass over them uh, if it when it makes the save I think that's really flavorful and kind of just it just feels cool for the subclass what this reminds you of is like scrying or something but done like I saw I can't remember what thing I was watching but it was it was something I was watching before where they, the, the villain cut someone's throat and then caught the blood in the cup and then used the blood in the cup I think it was a demon. Yeah, it was supernatural. Yeah, a, a demon cut someone's throat, and the, another demon's throat, then caught the blood in a cup, and then used that cup to like scry or contact hell. And this totally reminds me of that. Or like you have their blood, and so you, like you take, you're like doing a ritual. You take the dagger out. You like cut your palm to bleed on the altar or whatever. Like yep. you know, that kind of classic movie cultist thing where you cut your palm with the mm -hmm. knife, which is a stupid idea. Uh, it's, it's always right in the middle of their hand, but they need to do everything. <laughs> the part of your hand that moves the most, like. Uh, but yeah, that that's in my head. That's it. Like you're like, okay, I need to find this person, do like a dark ritual, cut my palms, spill blood mm -hmm. on the altar, and now I can see through their eyes. So cool. Yeah, very cool. And um, the only the only real difference by that additional line at the end again, which I think is so so flavorful and so cool, mm. um, is instead of being it's a number of minutes equal to your wisdom mod, it used to be a number of rounds. So the fact that it's minutes is a lot better. I mean, realistically, even with a plus five to your wisdom, if you're talking about 30 seconds, you can see through their eyes, or you're not going to hear or see a whole lot in that time. No. Four to five minutes is, is far more reasonable that you could listen in on a conversation they're having or, or something like that, you know? Yeah, if I had to take 2d6 necrotic damage to see out of someone's eyes for 30 seconds, I'd be calling bullshit real quick. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so that's, that's that one. That is... Crimson Bond. Yeah. Now they have Blood Puppet, and Blood Puppet again has been swapped. So Crimson Blood Puppet used to be level two, is now level six, and and vice versa for Crimson Bond. Uh, so uh, Blood Puppet now has is now changed from Con, which it used to be a Con save. Now it's a Wisdom save instead. Mm. Personally, I think Con save fits very well when you're talking about you know manipulating someone through their yeah. blood, but. Yeah. I, I'm okay with it being wisdom as well. Well, actually, no. It's it changed to wisdom because they specifically stated it's that this charm. charms you. Yeah. It wasn't a charm before. Um, 
The Blood Puppet uh, uses, uh, used to only allow the target to move half their speed and attack. Now the target that's being controlled or is charmed can make uh, an object interaction, or you could just choose to have them do nothing so they skip their turn, basically, and they're not involved in, in beating up your friends. Um, uh, control lasts for one minute or until saved against. Uh, and later on, it can it can affect huge or huge creatures or, or greater, I believe. Uh, yeah, at 17th level, you can use the feature to target a huge, sorry, a huge or smaller creature. Um, but yeah, I mean that's it. It's it's the flexibility on that is nice. Um, you don't have to worry about only making a single attack action. I think they can still only move half their yeah, they still only move half their speed, but they can choose to make the single attack, they can interact with something. I was thinking a while ago, could you do this? Like I'd probably allow it if someone was like also also you can do this on like a dead or unconscious body yeah. as well. You can you can like puppeteer them up off the ground. It does say something about them having a corpse targeted by this effect gains a semblance of life that you control. Again, oh the language is so good in this in this class, man. Um that's just before as well when you um when you do the when you do that on an animated corpse or an unconscious creature they take their turn immediately after yours yeah actually i think that's oh yes because they'd be out of the initiative and they, they just file back in after you yeah. one thing i do think though is and i would totally allow this if you were somehow restrained or you couldn't get across the battlefield or you knew that the part like let's say for example one of your allies is downed right let's say for example talk about our game right mm -hmm. um wabu is currently you know, unconscious, as is Aerith. Let's say you're playing a Blood Cleric. You target uh, Aerith because you know he has potions on him. Oh, yeah. Puppeteer him to stand up, walk over, and then use... I, I, It's technically... I think it's maybe more than an object interaction, but I would still allow it. Um, that you can you can puppeteer him to pour a potion into Wabu and get Wabu back up. I would totally allow that. I think that'd be super cool. That would be really, really cool. Or actually, could you... Ooh, interesting. Hmm. Again, okay, I, I would probably allow this because I just think it's super cool, even though it's not really what the rules actually okay. do. But if someone, if, if you, again, you're playing Blood Cleric, Aerith is unconscious, you know he has potions on him, have him take control of him, which he automatically, you automatically do because he's unconscious, take control of him, have him drink a potion to get himself back up, That you, but you're doing it from 60 feet yeah. away. No, that, that, that's what I thought you were going to say the first time. Yeah. But yeah, you could totally do either of those. Yeah, because I mean, again, it's it's ob interact. It actually, just says interact with an object. It doesn't say take an object interaction. No, I would I would allow it. I'd allow it to to the use object action. Probably not use magic items because no. similar to I think is it a, is it thief? Um, you can use an object as a bonus action. Yeah. Um, but then at later levels you can use a magic item as a bonus action. I think so. So I, I I would I would make sure to keep that differential in mind, and I would say you can't use magic items. But you can 110% stand up, walk over to someone, throw a, a potion into them, or have them stand up and feed themselves a potion, and they just wake up and they're already standing and they're like, what just happened? Um, yeah. Sorry. You're good. Oh, God. It helps I'm talking a whole lot. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, I think... I already thought this subclass was really, really cool, but I think they've tightened things up a little bit here. Um, this was one of the, my preferred ones mm -hmm. from the... Uh, the original book. Um, I just think that they've they've polished out a few things and sharpened up a few things and tightened up a few nuts and bolts. Um, and it's so far, it's 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 a really cool subclass. I can totally see myself playing it. It's yeah. It's, it's I I had a feeling this was coming just because Cree was so prominent and the Tomb Takers are so prominent in uh, Campaign Two. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, it's just uh, it's pretty much exactly what I'd want from a Blood Cleric, to be honest. 
like yeah can see can like freeze people in place can like pop at them with their blood you can like see through all their creatures eyes if you have their blood like yeah it's yeah. it's it's pretty much everything i could think of or like yeah give me a, a blood cleric like Right, uh, I'm going to rush through the next couple of things because they're relatively simple. Uh, you still have Sanguine Recall, and this has been actually been nerfed. So this lets you reco recover spell slots. It used to take a D6 of necrotic damage to you. It cannot be reduced, so if you're playing uh, an Asimar, mm. it doesn't get halved. You take a D6, it's now a D8. So it's a, it's nerfed a little bit. Yeah. Not hugely, though, and I mean, like, it's still pretty cool to, like, because clerics, clerics can already choose their spells daily and have a huge selection of spells and stuff. So, uh, but they have no way of gaining spells back yeah. uh, on a short rest or anything. So the fact that you could do that at the cost of, uh, you know, this, and then maybe take a short rest and gain some health points back with hit dice, I still think it's a really, really cool ability. And it, it's not like you're taking a solid eight points of damage. You're rolling, so you can get back some up to six level spells. I think, um, again, really cool. Uh, you do get a divine strike ability, which was not part of the original class. Really, they kind of, they seem Weird. to just skip over the. Oh no, sanguine. Sorry, sanguine recall was the eighth level ability um now that's the sixth level ability for the the current version and then your divine strike which is just uh, necrotic damage which makes perfect sense is uh is what you get now at eighth instead uh and finally and this is super cool i love yeah. this ability i love the name yeah 17 17th level is vascular corruption aura which is just oh that's gonna be my band name vascular corruption aura <laughs> <laughs> yeah man <laughs> Uh, so this basically I don't think they changed much about this uh, oh actually no they buffed it um, so this basically lets you project an aura for a minute it's 30 feet uh, any hostile creature with blood that you see uh, that starts its turn or enters the field for the first time it used to take 2d6 damage now it takes 3d6 yeah. necrotic damage um, and hostiles in the area and this is the same as it was before hostiles in the area with blood that regain hit points uh, while in the aura only regain half of the hit points that's so, so that's so good you charge up on the bad guy who keeps swamping potions or if he's a paladin and keeps using like like a, an anti-paladin keeps using lay on hands he's only getting back half the health points he should be getting back so so good uh it is a once per long rest but that's fine it's your 17th level ability it's a powerful ability um i think that i think that's so good i think this subclass now again it was really it was good before it's been tightened up and I think it's really, really refined now. And I think this is a, a real contender for one of the better cleric subclasses out there. Um, I, yeah. It has a stronger, I would say it has a stronger flavor than most of the cleric subclasses, which is, you know, saying a lot. Yeah, this is very true. Um, I like, I think as well, one of the things I really like about the Reborn book in comparison to the original Taldor setting book, you can really tell Matt has had more time with 5e. You can really, really tell. Yeah. He's, he knows 5e inside and out now. And, like, yeah. in terms of power levels and balancing and stuff, like, I've yet to see anything that's, like, supremely unbalanced, you know? It's just all strong. Yeah. And strong is what you want it to be. I think they, there's always a thing with with third-party stuff where it's either going to be too weak or too powerful or it just misses the mark by a little bit. Uh, I find the, the Cobalt Press books like Creature Codex and Tome of Beasts are really, really good, but I do feel like a lot of the monsters aren't challenge rating appropriate, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're usually stronger than their challenge rating would would, uh, would you know uh, indicate. Um, but in this case, I feel like this book, so, and the same thing with the original book here, but I do feel like this now, they, they're hitting the mark pretty solid so far on all, all these subclasses. Uh, we're going to go on to probably what our favorite one here um i know you really like it yeah. i really like it we were with it for two years or however long marisha was playing this 
We're talking about the Cobalt Soul Monk. Um, oh, dope monk shit. Yes. Dope monk shit. Pop, pop. Um, that's magnitude. It's a one-man party. Um, that's community reference. So ignore me. Um, so, okay. So, this is... Okay. So, this is already great. We knew there was changes coming to this because uh, even early on in Campaign 2 or Critical Role, we, we saw... Marisha clarifying rule changes with Matt at the table. She was she would go to do something, and she would say, "Oh, that's actually this many dice now, or I, this used to be this, but now it's this." Um, and Matt would be like, "That's right, yeah, we changed that." So they're obviously changing stuff on the fly. It makes sense how refined and how good this class is, because obviously Matt has had more time with this than any other subclass in this list. Mm -hmm. He literally had his his wife playing it for two two and a half years. That's if it is that's on if that's on a playtest, uh, a, a very thorough playtest. I don't know what is. Um, so yeah, so okay, Marisha didn't multi class either, so she played like what? What level were they by the time they finished? 15? 15 or 16, yeah, yeah, they were they were 15 straight levels a month, like, yeah. Um, the only thing they didn't touch on was the 17th level ability, but uh, we'll get into it. Um, so uh, the first thing here we have is actually right off the bat, um one thing has been changed a lot of the abilities on this and it shows how much this has changed by how much time matt has had to observe marisha playing it and then tweak things on the fly um right off the bat mystical erudition has been knocked back to sixth level mm -hmm. so previously it was a third level ability it's now a sixth level ability so we'll come to that in a second uh extract aspects um used to be a case of you would hit someone you had to hit them multiple times in a round so it used to be you had to hit them at least twice and then you can learn one ability. It can be like, uh, I think it can be like AC, uh, armor class, uh, senses, uh, saving throw modifiers, uh, vulnerabilities, resistances, immunities, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, that So you have to pick one. You have to hit them twice in a round, which is a weird mechanic. Yeah. And I was never crazy about it. Like I get um, the I got the theory behind it and that like as each time you like make contact with someone you're able to like you're, learning feel more. Their, you're able to feel their chi and pull that out and kind of feel more and learn more about them, like, you know. Yeah. Uh so they've they've dropped that now and now as long as you hit at least once with one of the attacks granted by your flurry of blows, you are spending a key point, but that's fine. A lot of monk abilities do this where it has to be one of your flurry of blows attacks that does the thing. Yeah. Um you can analyze a creature. When you analyze a creature, uh, when the analyzed creature misses you with an attack, this is new. I think this came later in the yeah. original build. Um, but now you have it at third level. If the analyzed creature misses you with an attack, you can use a reaction to make an unarmed strike against the creature. I love so that. I that's you ducking, <laughs> weaving, and going for a follow-up attack. Like, great. Love oh, it. I, oh, God, it's so good. <laughs> and, and I, I like that because it feels like I know what this person's about to do. If they miss me, I know that, like... It's... Do you know yeah. what it is? It's 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 why I love it's one of the reasons I love it so much. It's the smart character in the anime who's fighting the brute and the brute tries to hit him and he's like, yeah. Oh, that's how you do that attack. And then he tries to hit him again. He's like, I told you you can like there's literally a bit in bleach where a guy like shoots a, a laser thing at a guy and like thinks he kills him, your man fakes him out, and he's like, You won't hit me with that attack anymore. Everything about that attack from the spiritual pressure you use to it to the blood moving through your muscles as you turn your arm to the torsion you generate with that turn. I understand yeah. every aspect of it. And he's like, oh, whatever. And he goes to do it and he just puts his sword up against the guy's knuckles and your man can't make the attack anymore. And that's, that, that's what this is. It's just like, oh, you're trying to attack me. Wham! Like, it's, it's been a while since we brought up Zoids on the show. Oh, okay. Let's go. <laughs> There's an episode in Zoids where the main guy is inside of the, the shield liker and he's fighting, I can't remember the guy's name. He's like, he's kind of the rival Ren. in this show. Huh? It's Ren, I think. 
He is in like a red kind of tiger or he, some sort of or some sort. He starts off with a red saber toothed tiger, um, then yeah. the blade liger takes that out, and then he comes back with a dino. No, sorry, he comes out with a red saber toothed tiger. The shield liger takes that. He comes back with a red dinosaur that kills the shield liger. The blade liger comes out of the shield liger, and then they have a showdown, and he kills the blade liger, kills that, and then yeah. that becomes a black dinosaur, and he becomes a good guy. He's, it's always one guy in, yeah. in like an anime who is the bad guy at start and comes around at the end. I used to um, get up at 6am to watch that <laughs> on a Saturday Zoids morning. Zoids are so good. Oh, but there's an episode in Zoids where the main character is inside of the shield liger. He's facing down that guy. He's faced him a couple times before and only barely escaped with his life. He's like, I can't beat this guy, but he's, I have to fight him to get out of here. In the back of the shield liger there's like some military commander guys like with him mm-hmm. and his zoid was destroyed so he's in the back and he he calls down to the front seat because it's like it's like a pilot there's like two seats in it like a helicopter raven and he says that guy's name. raven he he's like he's like keep an eye on his back leg it, it right before he moves there'll be a, you'll see the leg shift to prepare him to attack that's your opening and he goes okay and he just locks in he focuses on that and as soon as the his uh his red saber two tiger like pivots its back leg he makes the attack and he, he knocks it down and he manages to defeat him and it's like it's, it's that smart move of i see what you're doing i see how your body moves and i know what you're going to do because you you have these tells you know it is it's literally i love it because it is it's a real fighting thing it's reading someone's telegraphing because you yeah. tell you telegraph what attack you're going to do oh and also the art is dope the art is always dope but i just particularly love that art yeah yeah very cool uh they have like a. Some sort of, that looks like a rope dart kind of situation almost like yeah it's a rope dart yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that's that anyway you get that up, uh, reaction take an attack um, the big buff on this and it changes it up from before you don't need to do the two attacks and also when you hit you just learn I think it's mm-hmm. you learn four things about them now uh, so vulnerabilities resistances immunities and condition immunities uh, so that is yeah four things you just learn those four things straight up you don't have to pick one of them you don't have to pick you know from a list of, of yeah. a really long list you can just straight up learn what these four things these critical pieces of information are right away like i know this has happened already where a monk has flurried of blows like a skeleton and the dm's like they're vulnerable to bludgeoning damage and he's like oh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go <clears throat> uh so yeah i think i think it's uh it, it's right off the bat that's really really great um yeah We'll jump on next. We'll, we'll skip ahead just very pretty. These are both six level abilities, but we'll jump on the Mystical Erudition. Previously, this would have... So I already said it's been bumped from th- uh, third to six. sixth level. I think that's fine. Um, uh, it gives you expertise. It gives you either skill proficiency or expertise, whereas previously you used to spend a key point to get advantage on a roll. Now, I like anything that gives me passives as opposed to actionable things. Like, with monks, particularly monks, I find that the temptation is to make every monk subclass ability something that is fueled. What happened to your life? Uh, an automatic tire. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, once, no, talk away. I'll, I'll fix my background lighting. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no worries. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, particularly, this is very, very evident with the elemental monk, um, where, like, every single thing the elemental monk can do as part of uh, their subclass abilities costs key points. Mm. And I feel like that's a pitfall when, when designing any monk subclass. Not everything you do has to require key points. I get that they're there. The temptation might be to spend them, but if you have to spend them on every single thing you do, you're either going to burn out them really, really fast, mm. or you're going to avoid using them because you're afraid you won't have any key points for later. Yeah. Um, 
so I like this a lot. Um, you just get you can either choose to get a proficiency in another skill, which fits in with this being a monk that is very well educated. Yeah. Um, or you actually is it, is it specific skills? Uh, oh yeah, you you can choose a skill proficiency in either arcana, history, investigation, nature, or religion. Mm. Um, but if you already have proficiency in one of them, you can just choose to get expertise, which is awesome because expertise is amazing. Expertise is broken. It's crazy. It's so good. It it is broken as well because when you have expertise in something, and like if you take, I don't know. If you have expertise and you're at least you've at least a plus one to it, by the time you're like seventeenth level, you're gonna have a plus thirteen to that skill. Like, um, I love it though, and it's it's. I always try to have maybe at least one expertise on a character if I can, mm. um, because I think it just makes you. If you're gonna play like a rogue or you're gonna play like a, a fighter or something like that, you want to be really really good at the thing you're good at. Yeah. So it makes sense that like I'm the strongest man in, in like all these provinces in this entire province. I'm the strongest guy. So you best believe I'm taking proficiency in athletics. I'm going to be able to run farther, jump higher, and do everything else better than anyone else around here. Um, so it's, it's, it just makes sense when you to double down on something that makes your character your character. Um, so I love that. Then uh, there's a thing where you used to get... Oh, you learn additional languages uh, and proficiencies at later levels. This used to be... One second, up. Oh. It used to be like right at the start, didn't it? Uh, yes, you used to uh, learn one language of your choice and gain additional languages only at 11th and 17th level. Mm. Um, now you get it at 6th level, so there's no gap, because usually when you get something at each month milestone, it's like 3rd, 6th, 11th, 17th. Now, instead of being 3, 11, 17, it's 6, 11, 17. Um, and, God, I'm really sorry. Uh, but you can also choose uh, it doesn't have to be languages you learn an additional language and an, an additional skill proficiency from the above list yeah um, oh wait let me check that now yeah so oh yeah yeah so, yeah. so you at, seven, at 11th and 17th level you can either just choose another proficiency or again you can get another expertise so you can by 17th level just based on what's in the class not factoring out anything that has to do with multi-classing or anything else like that you're going to have three expertise yeah. in intelligence-based skills, which is really cool and really makes the idea... Do you know what it kind of does? It makes it so that, as a monk, you're typically going either wisdom dex or wisdom strength. Uh, and you need to factor in your con because you're an up-close fighter as well. You really don't have the wiggle room to be putting a lot of points into intelligence. But if you have at least a plus plus one and then uh, expertise in a couple of these things... You're going to still fill out that part of your character where you're like, I'm a smart person because I studied and I went to college and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to fill out that corner of the character really nicely without you having to pour a bunch of points into uh, ASIs and intelligence, which only benefits you in these specific skills and nothing to do with your actual monk stuff, you know? Yeah. No no specific don't move shit. Uh, so, uh, extort truth is uh is still here um i think this again extort truth used to be that you had to i think you have to hit them three times i, I have it in front uh, of me here um at six level yeah hit a series of hidden nerve clusters blah 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 managed to hit a single creature with two or more attacks in one round you spend two key points to force him to make a charisma save you can choose to have these attacks deal no damage on a fail save the creature is unable to speak a deliberate life for a minute and then it's basically the exact same i think you know if this skill failed uh, affected creature is aware of the effect and can thus avoid avoid answering such creature can be invasive in its answers as long as the effects last it's basically the same except for um you only need to tag them once and there's one less key point use yes yeah that used to be two hits and two key points right yeah yeah now it's one hit and one key point which again i think is 
Like, it, it just felt weird. I, I think there was a couple of times where Marisha had people at her mercy. She wants to interrogate them. And it's like, if you have them tied up and in front of you, and you still have to land two hits sequentially before you can do this ability, that's a bit weird. Yeah. Whereas you should just be able to go, pop, now start talking. Yeah. Um, it, basically, it basically works like Zone of Truth. Um, but, yeah. you know, you're spending a single key point on one guy, um, and it's going to make a save and stuff. I, I, I think it's really, really cool. It's a great ability. It's very flavorful. It, it, makes, it makes you a full-on Batman if you want to be. I love it as well because, like, um, the isn't it the... Like, once you get to, like, this rank in Cobalt Soul, you are an expositor of the Cobalt Soul. Yes, I yeah. believe so, so yeah. like, an expositor is someone who gives exposition, and you get that exposition by interrogating that guy. Yeah. I love it. I love, I love all the layers. It's great. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Um... Up next, we have Mind of Mercury. This used to be a lower level ability. This used, this actually used to be the sixth level ability. Um, because so, they took out one of the eleventh level abilities and put that in as part of number three. Uh yes. So that's right, actually, yes. Because <coughs> so previously, Mind of Mercury used to be that uh, you can take a number of additional reactions uh, on your turn equal to your intelligence modifier. Again, this it requires you to put in points into your intelligence, which doesn't necessarily work to a conducive build for a monk. Um, uh, you can only, uh, and for every time you do this, uh, you can spend a key point to gain an additional reaction beyond your first. Uh, you can only do this once per trigger, which it may, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, whenever you take an intelligence investigation check, you can uh, spend one key point to gain advantage on the roll. Now, what this does, it, it takes out the the, oh yeah, she had because the the advantage on a, investigation checks for one key point that was kind of missing worth, from. To be honest, sorry, a key point for advantage on investigation checks doesn't really feel worth in my book. Well, I mean, the thing is, like you, when it came to mystical erudition, which mm -hmm. gave, which you could spend a key point to gain advantage on all the other uh, yeah, sorry, intelligence no, checks. Yeah. Investigation was missing from that and was put in here instead. So, because you lost that thing earlier on, and instead it just gives you proficiency or expertise if you want there's no need to have this thing in here so they've, they've given it to you at an earlier level in a different form and just kind of dropped it from the skill entirely which i'm okay with yeah. um instead what happens here is uh, once per turn if you've already taken a reaction you can spend a key point to take an additional reaction you can only use this trigger once per turn um it's not tied you can do this as many times as you want it's not tied to your intelligence uh, i'm actually kind of surprised they didn't tie this to your um proficiency bonus Proficiency, which would be the, the standard thing to do now. If something was previously tied to a modifier of a, of a particular um, ability score, yeah. it, it they usually go, you can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency. Now they've just said, screw that. Instead, you can spend a key point, as many key points as you want in a round, uh, and just keep popping people left, right, and center and dealing additional attacks as long as you have key points to fuel it. So that's once per turn. Yeah. So you can only do it once per turn. You can only but that take means two, that... It's, you basically get two reactions in a turn if you spend a key uh, Yes, but you can do another... It, like, as soon as, as that turn is over and it's the next person's going to the initiative, you can do it again if you have another reaction. Oh, yeah. Trigger. Jesus. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So you can you can burn through your key points pretty fast. Pretty fast if you do this. Um, so But you're, you're just popping people left, right, and center now. The coolest thing I've seen of this in action was in when they did the Vox Machina versus Mighty Nine Battle Royal it was Percy versus Keyleth and Percy just took a gun out and went bang bang and she caught the two bullets because she had two reactions to do it it was so yeah. sick it was so sick and he, of course then he just went bang bang can you do it again bang 
Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that is Mind of Mercury. I think this is this is honestly, even the original version of the class. This Mind of Mercury thing blew my mind, and it's like additional reactions is Crazy. insane. Yeah, um, really, really cool. Um, then we have the final. Uh, actually, no. So there was an ability here called uh, Preternatural. Yes. Uh, which one's you now? Failure to advantage. It's. I think. I don't think they changed it much. Um, they they included that in the third level ability. So this is actually included in the extract aspects now. And uh, this is with the thing that would let you. Uh, uh, what's here now? Uh, quick mind and study of your foe allows you to use their failure to your advantage. If a creature misses you in attack, you can immediately follow up with a reaction uh, melee attack to that creature. This used to be so. This used to be an eleventh level ability, and mm. uh, now that's part of the of your third level ability uh, extract aspects for your analyzed creature. Here's the fun part, actually. If you go back and look at it, um, it doesn't say you cannot have more than one analyzed creature. Yeah. Just, so just... you can you can continue marking and analyzing all these people on the battlefield as long as you have the key points to spend flurry of blows and do it, and you can have all the enemies around you, and then. Every time one of them hits you, spend an extra key point, gain additional reaction, punch them back. You you can do some pretty pretty good damage you with can, this class just on multiple attacks. You can like two v one really well with this because if there's two characters and like you hit your one one, they're both analyzed, and now yeah. they're both they're both marked. So every time now they attack you and they miss, and like you can do like patient defense as well for a key point. There's a bonus action and just be like, yeah. you have disadvantage on me now. And then they start missing you, and you just start breaking noses. <laughs> like, yeah. It's gonna be so good. I will say they, they just this last does burn through quite a few key points yeah. in, or gives you the ability to. So you gotta be kind of con like conscious of the fact that you're allowed to do these things. You don't want to burn through all your key points in the first couple rounds of combat because there is the potential for that. Um, so that's gone. Final thing is debilitating barrage. Now I forget if they change this much. Um. Because I'm out of notes, if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, and I didn't. I, I've got the old one here on my PC. Uh... Oh, yes. So, okay. So, what I know right off the bat, one thing they dropped. This thing had the ability where if you had to hit someone three times in a round it's and then spend stronger. three key points. It's way stronger. It's fucking yeah. way stronger. <laughs> so, again, it used to be similar to the other one. So, whenever you hit a creature uh, <laughs> with uh, three or more attacks in a round, you can spend three key points to give that creature disadvantage on their attack rolls until the end of your next turn, and they must make a constitution saving throw. On a failure, the creature suffers vulnerability to the damage type of your choice for one minute, or until... this. Okay, the wording of this is very, very important, right? Or until they take any damage of that type, okay? Yeah. That's important. That's important. I'll tell you why. Um, so first off, you don't have to do the three attacks thing. They're dropping that for the entire class. You don't hit someone multiple times in a round to get your abilities. You just spend the, the key point requirement, right? Uh, in the actual new thing, now what it says is you can spend three key points to cause a creature to gain vulnerability to one damage type of your choice for one minute or until the end of the turn in which it takes the damage of that type. Yeah. If you have, if you're smart and you coordinate with your team and you line up a bunch of attacks or have a couple of spell casters hold a couple of lightning bolts, you hit them, vulnerability to lightning damage, then the spell casters go. That you can basically as, as many attacks of that damage type as you can pack into a single turn, mm -hmm. they're going to then have a vulnerability to all that damage instead of the first instance of it. Yeah, you could do real uh, you could do really really nasty stuff as well. Like um, you tag it and you tag the you tag the enemy. You make them vulnerable to bludgeoning damage. You do your whole round of attacks, but like before mm -hmm. your round of attacks ends, the like spellcasters drop rocks on them from really high up with telekinesis. Yeah. 
Again, if you if you're if you're clever and you coordinate it, like yeah, it's I uh, love I love this because this in my head is like you hit someone and you're like bang, I've like shattered your like key center or I've done something to upset the flow of natural energy in your body and you're mm-hmm. you're just screwed. You can't. You're not. Your nervous system is not functioning the way it's supposed to, and you feel pain more because of that. So it's so cool. Uh, so one thing to note here is that um, they said previously creatures with resistance or immunity to the chosen damage type do not suffer the vulnerability mm-hmm. um, and they have a list of damage types you can choose from which is pretty much all of them um, one thing they've changed now is they've dropped that list you can just choose the damage type mm-hmm. um, uh, if a creature is damaged, uh, has resistance to the damage type you're choosing uh, the resistance is suppressed for one minute which is pretty cool you're dropping off the resistance uh, and then rather than rather than gaining the vulnerability uh, and then a creature that is immune to the damage type is unaffected which i guess is fine i'm okay with that but you're still taking someone's resistance to an ability away and like a lot of things like just take for example fire damage a lot like red dragons a lot of them don't have immunity they just have resistance to fire damage um so the fact that you could still hit them with a fireball or something like that and take they could take full damage from this is really really cool um Hell yeah. uh, a creature who is affected by this cannot be affected in the same way again for 24 hours um so it's they've made a single use but again if you can coordinate that round of combat get everyone to hit with some really heavy hitting thunder acid lightning whatever you want to use oh vitriolic sphere would be horrific exactly yeah that they're going to take either double damage or they're going to lose their resistance and take full damage on that vitriolic sphere then also like you say specifically vitriolic sphere you tag them make them vulnerable to acid like they so they take the double damage off the vitriolic sphere right then Mm -hmm. they take half that damage the next turn because of vitriolic sphere so even on even if even say like you end the turn with the vitriolic sphere so obviously you take away the 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 um, debilitating barrage effects because now, mm-hmm. now they get their resistance back. Even when they get their resistance back, they are taking half the damage of the double damage from when they were vulnerable on Vitriolic Sphere the following turn, unless they like try and like rub the acid off themselves. Oh wait, oh does I haven't used Vitriolic Sphere before? Does that does that half the damage you did in the previous round for the next round? It's it's an acid fireball that yeah. stays for the next round and does half the damage you did the round previous. Unless oh. they take an, I think they have to take like an action to get rid of it to get the acid off themselves. That's so good. It's it's a weird um the the idea that someone can spend an action to clear themselves of an effect seems like it's it's too easy for them. Mm. But in terms of action economy, that's massive. Yeah. They're missing out on all their attacks in a round. You know. I'm just. Um, yeah. Go on, oh, please go on. I'm just looking at Vitalik yeah. to make sure I'm not talking. I'm just going to move on because I'm I'm conscious that we're we're quite tight on time and we still have to go through the entirety of the. Oh, the rune child sorcerer. Oh, um, okay. So, that. uh, idea of the rune child is basically that they can summon various runes on their body, store them up for charge, do additional abilities with them. Um, right off the bat, the rune child in this gets actually gets a runic spell list, similar to other. Not not all all sorcerer spellcasters get them. Um, I know. Two in the main book do not. I knew. I know a lot of other ones. Storm Sorcerer, I think, gets additional spells. Shadow Sorcerer, I think, gets additional spells. Um, it's a thing they're doing more and more to buff out the Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. But the two, the, 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 again, the Draconic Sorcerer doesn't get these additional spell abilities, nor does the Wild Magic Sorcerer. Um, so we, uh, they get Long Stride, Perfection from Good and Evil, Lesser Restoration, Protection from Poison, Glyph of Warding. You can see a lot of... Um, 
defensive stuff. Mm. It's really defensive in, in, in nature. Cliff of Warding, Magic Circle, Death Ward, Freedom of Movement, Greater Restoration, Telekinesis. They're, um, they're good spells, man. They're very good. I spells. mean, it, it's there's a lot of defensive, like really, really good defensive stuff in there. Um, it's and again, like sorcerers are one of their kind of squishy, you know, casters or glass cannons. So I mean, any of the stuff you can give your sorcerer. Mm. And actually, one thing I noticed as well is um, the 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 wording of this is weird. Uh, so. Uh, each of the spells counts as sorcerer spell for you, uh, but doesn't count against the number of spells that you know. So these are does that mean they're always prepared for sorcerer? Because sorcerers don't prepare spells; they just know spells. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. They're just on. So they're, they're always they're there. Just, I guess they're just added to your spell list. Yep. And then check this out. And uh, when you gain a level in this class, you can replace one spell you gained from this feature with another spell of the same level. The new spell must be an abjuration or transmutation spell from the sorcerer, warlock, or wizard spell list. Ooh, that's good. That's so good. I, There's a lot of flexibility in there. I, I think I missed that because uh, I just saw. I think when I was reading over runic magic, I just saw the spell list. Went, oh, they get rune spells. Cool. And it's sort of that. But oh, you can swap them out for warlock or wizard so, spells too. Yeah. The wizard spells I thought was big. I thought the wizard spell one was big. Yeah. Um, Warlock has a couple of good ones, but Warlocks are kind of like sorcerers where they don't have a huge amount of variety, but they do a few things really well. Like, um, where, but wizards are, there, are the Swiss Army Knights of magic in this game, and you get access to their spell list for, again, just for abjuration and transmutation, but again, that's that's still really, really good. Like, it's it Yeah, it's and like again, the abjuration thing, the abjuration is specifically defensive magics as well, so it's all kind of fitting yeah. a theme too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, to, uh, to continue the, the theme of fitting a theme, um, Glyph of Aegis, Aegis yeah. being a shield. Did we, um, wait, did we do the essence rooms yet? Uh, oh, no, sorry, I skipped over that, my bad. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, look at it, I was like, that's a big chunk, I don't remember him saying. <clears throat> so, I, I, I got mixed up there, I thought that was, um, I thought it was flavor text at the top. Um, yes, okay, so. Uh, in this, uh, your body begins to express innate uh, magical runes that trace across your skin and start uh, with one essence rune, mm -hmm. and you gain additional runes whenever you gain a level in this class. So you have as many of these equal to your level in sorcerer. Uh, bit pretty much the same as sorcery points, I believe. Um, yeah. And key points, it's always equal to the level you are. Um, these runes can manifest anywhere in your body, though they, they first usually appear on your forehead. They're just giving you a suggestion. I don't think it's a hard rule. Uh, your essence rune remains invisible when inert. Uh, so I like that they're they're under your skin. Yeah. They're like they're not visible until you fire them up. Um, at the end of your turn, during which uh, you spend one or more sorcery points, uh, a number of your essence runes equal to the number of sorcery points you spend begin to glow with it with stored energy. So you're burning sorcery points to get these things to to activate. Uh, when you use uh, these charge runes to power your rune child subclass abilities, it's a bit weird because it's 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 multiple currencies. It's multiple power points. You either have essence runes or sorcery points yeah. or spell slots you know three things to worry about so i probably wouldn't be suggesting this to new players yeah this um, that's cool probably the most complex class i'd say a sorcerer probably yeah sorcerers are pretty cut and dry most times um no i mean i mean so this, this book sorry oh well I, I again i haven't read all of the subclasses yet yeah. but i just just these four of the four we talked about today yes definitely the most complicated of the four we talked about today um again just three and, and it's weird because you're like i have spell slots that i can make into sorcery points and i can also make them in, back into spell slots or i can turn them into essence runes and activate my essence runes there's a lot of chopping and change in there and i already think having sorcery points um and and spell slots and having to go 
okay, I'm going to use my action. I'm going to convert this many sorcery points into this many spell slots. I'm going to do two first levels and, uh, and a second level or whatever, you know, you, whatever you break it down. It gets very numbers heavy, and this does not help with that. Um, but I, I don't think it's so complicated that it's unusable or anything like no, that. Jesus, uh, no, Jesus, no, so, uh, use it to power your features. Uh, also, as a bonus action, you may spend a sorcery point to convert... Oh, yes, that was actually one there. So, you can spend a sorcery point to convert two essence runes into two charge runes. So, the way it works is, at the end, whenever you cast... Uh, uh, yes. So, whenever you spend a sorcery point, right? Mm. Which is usually to do, like, a twin spell or a careful spell or whatever. You spend a sorcery point, you cast your spell, and you do this additional effect... Um, in the in the original book, um, what it would do, the, the economy was a little bit off because you're spending a sorcery point with essence runes ability here. You get your additional effect in your spell, right. plus you get uh, one or you get number of sorcery points equal to the. Sorry, I'm all around. I'm all turned around. I'm really tired. I'm not for mentioning that already. Um, no, so I, I the... don't blame you. I had to read essence runes like three times. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it's not a beginner um, sorcerer class, but it's cool. But it's just not a beginner class. Um, so you spend uh, a number of sorcery points. Uh, you spent begin to glow and sword energy. Yes. So if you spend them, you get that many sorcery points back. Previously, oh, that was it. So if you spend a sorcery point to do a twin spell, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you get one essence room because you spent a single sorcery point, but you also got the effect of the twin spell. So you're spending one sorcery point and getting two things. You get your essence rune and your twin spell. Uh, you can also, as a as a bonus action, you can just spend a sorcery point. Previously, you would spend a single sorcery point and just get an essence rune outside of casting spells if you want. Right. What they've done now is they've changed the economy. So if you're not getting the additional effect of a twin spell or a careful spell or something like that, and you spend use a bonus action just to convert them, you can get two essence runes for one sorcery point. Okay, okay. I got you. So you either spend uh, you spend an essence rune, so you just spend a sorcery point. I'm mean, really this is getting I'm spending I'm saying these words too much. I'm confusing myself. You either spend a sorcery point and gain one essence rune right. and one spell effect, or you spend a sorcery uh, a sorcery point and you gain two essence runes. And so the, the the economy balances better in terms of what you're getting out of each thing. The way it was previously, it made no sense for you to ever use your bonus action to convert sorcery points into essence runes because you're missing out on effects on spells you could be casting you are far better off just doing it in combat when you cast a spell now it makes more sense you could do it outside combat and you're getting more back yeah. than you would have been putting into it um in the previous version of it yeah and then level of number of runes obviously corresponds to number of sorcerers points spent the turn previous or whatever exactly yeah yeah, yeah. um so th this this is a kind of cool thing i think it's kind of weird but it's fun um if you have five or more charged runes, you emit bright light in a five-foot radius and dim light in a in a additional five feet. That's cool. That's a, that's just fun. I like that. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of like glowing tattoo runes all over your body that are just flaring Me up. Me like. too, Connor. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a really there's a bit in community where uh, the dean. It's in like the end of season three where the dean mentions that he's been renting the school out for like uh, raves on the weekend to like get a bit of extra money together for the school. Um, and they turn out the lights and put on these UV lights and you can't see it because they're invisible to the naked eye but there's UV paint everywhere and the dean as I like, comes out he's painted his whole body and he's taking his shirt off and he's just dancing like this down the hallway 
<laughs> and it's so, and it's like there's this really like drum and beat music playing. Oh. It's so so good. Oh my god, that's amazing. But that's it. That's this. You're basically like a magical rune raver when you have this thing on. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if you spend a charge rune uh, to use one of your rune child features, it returns to being inert. Uh, an inert essence rune uh, any charge runes uh, also revert uh, after you finish a long rest so you can't carry them until the next day but that makes perfect sense it goes the same for your um, sorcery points your spell slots why wouldn't it affect this as well yeah. um, at first level you also get the glyph of ages uh, so you can release a stored arcane energy within uh, your runes to absorb or deflect threatening attacks but if you take damage you need to spend a number of, sor of charge runes uh, as a reaction uh, roll a number of uh of dice of d6s apparently uh equal to your number of runes spent and reduce the damage by that that's really cool that's yeah. basically uh, and again you can you can stock up if you're like a level 10 character you can spend five sorcery points before ever going into combat layer up 10 of your things and you've got 10 d6s you can burn as a reaction whenever you want it's yeah it's pretty damn good yeah uh, that's good and uh, when you read and also uh, when you reach sixth level uh you can touch a creature uh as an action and expend up to three charges uh, or three runes, pardon me, uh, to transfer that protective power to someone else for an hour. Whenever that creature takes damage within the next hour, it rolls D, uh, 1d6 per charge rune spent and reduces the damage uh, total. You can't transfer this power to a creature already under the effect of a glyph of ages. Basically, you can't stack them if you have more than one yeah. of these guys in your party. Uh, and also, they turn to d8s at 14th level, nice. uh, which you didn't do previously. Um, they were, I believe, they just stayed as d6s, and I, I think you couldn't transfer them in the same way. Uh, yeah, it, it only stayed. It didn't stay for as long. Uh, yeah, basically. It's basically that you can transfer it off to your, your allies now. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably only have time for like one more uh, thing here. Uh, so, pardon, pardon me, folks. We're running short on time, uh, so we won't get to finish this subclass this week. Um, but we'll jump more into the Taltori Reborn book next week anyway. Um, uh, let's see here now. Uh, so, manif Manifest Inscriptions. Uh, you can reveal hidden glyphs and enchantments uh, that are around you as a bonus action. Uh, sorry, as an action, uh, you expend one charge uh, rune to reveal a hidden invisible arcane traps, marks, runes, wards, sensors, glyphs within 60 feet of you. Uh, they glow within uh, with dim light within five feet for one minute. And you have advantage on intelligence arcana checks to discern the nature of the magic uh, that is revealed in this way. Uh, if the glyph reveals something... Uh, in a language you couldn't normally read, you can understand them while they're glowing uh, with that magic. Uh, kind of situational. Yeah. Um, it's like fine tracks, <clears throat> identify, and eyes of the rune keeper are rolled into one with bits taken out of each of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I don't think it's the most useful thing in the world, but I think it's fine. I don't think it's bad either. Um, I think it's very cool if you, I mean, what are you doing? You're, what are you, as an action, yeah, you're expending one of your things to yeah. do it, uh, and it lasts for. Like, it's good if you enter a room and you want to make sure the room isn't trapped, basically. Like, 60 say, feet is big. I was going to say, that's a really good dungeon crawl ability. Yeah. You enter a chamber. It's, you know, 50 feet by 50 feet or whatever, or 40 feet by 40 feet. You take one step into the room, burn one of these things. Anything that is, like, has a glyph of warding or any sort of magical traps you wouldn't normally be able to see, yeah. highlight it immediately. It's a good way of clearing the room. You can do that. The rogue can make an investigation checks for pressure plates and all that. And between magic and mundane traps you're pretty confident going into that room that you're going to be okay then. Yeah. Um, so again, that's going to like, it, it, it keeps with the defensive thing while being preemptive in its defensiveness. Um, I think we're going to have to cut it there, Martin. Oh, uh, right. sorry, wait. Uh, Martin? Yes, Connor. 
that's all the time we have for today so I answered uh, the, the outro th- correctly that, that's a shame I was very much looking forward to how you were going to say sigillic augmentation <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sigillic and it has always been sigillic sigillic uh, okay um, no it's just yeah it's man there's so much fun concepts and just abilities and things we can talk about in this particular book um, yeah. that I'm like I, th- I think we were saying earlier we're going to do probably a few weeks worth of episodes on the Taldore campaign reborn setting yeah we might break it up with a couple of things here and there but I mean there's a lot in this book to go through and there's some really cool content I highly recommend if you can get this book get it mm-hmm. uh, I said to Martin earlier um, the it, not all these classes appear on D&D Beyond but the yes. Cobalt Soul that is on D&D Beyond has been updated to reflect this new book which is very very cool that is very cool I would hope maybe as well like in a year or something maybe they'll just lash it onto the beyond possibly possibly i mean they have a good relationship with critical role anyway they've already released they're going to release two critical role books now come there's um there's three critical role subclasses uh, like integrated to dnd beyond already the blood hunter four the gunslinger as well gunslinger blood hunter um oath of the open ocean paladin and Cobalt Soul. Cobalt Soul. Yeah. How could I forget that? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, like, they've also partnered with, with Critical Role and Wizards to do two D&D books that are based in, in the same world. We had the, um, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount and the... Call of the Netherdeep. Call of the Netherdeep, which is coming out soon. March. Um, so, yeah. March, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this showed up. I just don't think it's going to happen, yeah. you know, anytime very soon. Um if you have any questions you'd like us to ask, stories you'd like us to share, or topics you'd like us to cover, please tweet us at MikeFlairsPod on Twitter. Uh, you can find that lower screen. Uh, you can find our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor Breaker, and Radio Republic. Martin, where can people find you on the internet? You can mostly find me on the internet on Twitter, at so sorry, it's over, which should be about here somewhere. And you can also find me on the MikeFlairs podcast Twitter, as you mentioned before. Um, but most importantly, you'll find me here every Friday, 6pm Irish time, to talk with D&D, my bud, my bud, Goody Connor, my good buddy Connor. What's Goody? <laughs> Where can people find you, Connor? My uh, people, my buds, Goody. People can find me uh, on Twitter at zero point Connor Z E R O P O I N T C O N O R one N. Very important. Uh, and then, as Martin said, mostly you can find me every Friday six pm Irish time here on the Mike Flares podcast on all the aforementioned platforms. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I apologize we didn't get through everything today, but there's just a lot in these subclasses to go through. Uh, we will be talking more about this uh, book next week, uh, hopefully with physical mm. copies in hand at that point. I, um, but I, until then, guys, yeah. uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Gotcha. <laughs>